In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Turn, turn in your Bibles to Joshua, the first chapter. Uh, the first chapter of the book of Joshua. I'm going to be sharing a message with you which I have titled, The Key to Prosperity and Success. The Key to Prosperity and Success. How many want that to be their testimony, that you prosper in all that you do? Let's see your hands, yeah? Okay, how many desire at the end of their race, at the end of their lives, for them to look back and realize that their lives have been successful? How many desire success? These are two words that we hear a lot about. We hear them in church, we hear them outside church. People have become experts uh, by simply teaching or professing to teach others how to be successful. I don't know how many books I've seen, Seven Ways to Success, Four Ways to Success, uh, Prosperity Unleashed, Prosperity Before You. It's just two words that seem to captivate our minds. These words are prosperity, and success. And so if someone said to you, I have the key to prosperity or the key to success, the key to you living a successful life, how many would say, give me that key? Yeah. Amen. Joshua, the first chapter, verses 7 to 9. To put the scriptures I'm about to read as our foundation text in some context. Uh, the scriptures are about a young man, Joshua, who had for many years served as Moses' assistant. He had seen Moses used by God in the most dramatic ways. Uh, amazing miracles were wrought at the hand of Moses as God broke the backbone of Egypt and set his children free. Um, he was there when Moses went up to the mountain and spent 40 days with God and came down and his face was shining so much that he had to put a veil over his face so people could see him. He'd really been there and he, he had seen Moses in the fullness of God's glory demonstrated through his life. But now Moses was dead and God appointed him as Moses' successor to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. An assignment that Moses hadn't finished, um, but Joshua was supposed to finish that assignment. I'm sure if you can, you can imagine, just get into the mind of the young man, there must have been some trepidation. There must have been some fear. Probably there was anxiety. Definitely there was some concern. Because how would he fill these large shoes of a man like Moses? 
Would the children of Israel obey him the way they obeyed Moses? Would they honor him the way they honored Moses? Did he have Moses' grace, the anointing on Moses? Would this hard-hearted, troublesome, recalcitrant children of Israel follow him into the promised land? I guess this and other things must have been on the young man's mind as he accepted the responsibility to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And it's against that backdrop that God begins to speak to him. I would have loved to read the entire chapter, but let's just read verses 7 to 9 of Joshua, the first chapter. This is God speaking to him. This is God's encouragement to him. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Just to emphasize uh, this foundation text, I want to read it from two more versions of the Bible. The New Living Translation would say this. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Amplified Version would say it like this. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do everything in accordance with the entire law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may prosper and be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will be successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be terrified or dismayed, intimidated, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I can't tell you for certain, but I can imagine that this was answer to prayer. I can imagine that the young man must have been praying to God, talking to God. God, how am I going to do it? How am I going to lead this nation? How am I going to fulfill this objective? How am I going to reach the destination? How am I going to be successful? How is this work going to prosper in my hands? And this was God's response to him. An encouragement to be strong and courageous. A, a careful instruction to 
Obey the word of God. Read the word of God. Study the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. The message is clear. You can't achieve success without the word of God. Every other thing is a mirage, is an illusion. It is not real. True success only comes by the word of God. And listen to God's clear instructions to him. Because the Bible says only then will you have success and prosperity. Every other thing that anyone tells you that doesn't have this as its foundation cannot achieve, cannot lead you to achieve long-lasting success. So what does God say to the young man? As the young, uh, in answer to probably the young man's queries or the young man's prayers as to how do I achieve success? How do I ensure that whatever I do prospers? How do I reach my goal? How do I uh, achieve this dream that you've put in my heart? Listen to what God says to him. God says, number one, you have to read the word of God. There is no shortcut to it. If you're not reading the word of God, it is impossible for you to have long-lasting success. It is only if you are reading the word of God. And when you look around, you'll be amazed as to how many don't read the word of God. You'll be amazed as to how many only hear the word of God when they come to church on a Sunday. You are amazed as to how many can go for weeks and months without a dedicated period where they are reading the word of God. God said to Joshua, you can't achieve any success and you can't prosper in what you're doing if you don't read the word of God. Say to the person next to you, read it. Please, can you say that boldly? He then says to him, secondly, that you must also meditate on the word of God. Not just reading it, but you must meditate on the word of God. You must take time to imbibe the word of God by the process of meditation on the word of God. Reading alone doesn't work. Studying alone doesn't work. Because in the, in the scriptures, one of the verses says, study the word of God. So we can read it, we can study it, but we must meditate on the word of God. The Bible says meditate on it day and night. One says meditate on it continually. Whether day and night or continually, at least we get the impression that a day mustn't pass without us spending some time meditating on the word of God. It is the only way to success. Don't let anybody kid you. If you're not meditating on the word of God, that success is short-lived at best. And then the third thing he says to him is that you must speak the word of God. It must not depart from your mouth, the Bible says. You must confess it, speak it. So I'm not just reading it, I'm not just studying it. I'm not just meditating on it. But as I meditate on it, I am confessing the word of God. I am speaking the word of God. I am declaring the word of God. And then he says to him crucially that you must obey the word of God. 
You see, there is no area of our lives that the world does not have an application to. There is nothing we can be involved in that the word, that there isn't a word that is relevant to wherever we find ourselves. And so he says you must obey it. He says only then when you're obeying it can you trigger the grace that brings success and prosperity in whatever you do. So he says read it, study it, meditate on it, speak it or confess it, and then obey it. Whatever the word says, do it. Let's not play that selective game where we can choose certain parts but not other parts. He says, whatever the word says. He says, in accordance with the entire law, the entire word of God, obey it. And then lastly, he says, be courageous. He says, be strong. Now, I used to think that had nothing to do with the other things I've listed. But I realized that if you take a stand for the word of God in 21st century London, you better be strong and courageous. Because there's a whole culture that will stand against your stance on the word of God. Your friends might mock you. Your family might desert you. The culture of the times might try to make you feel like you're awed. It takes bravery, courage, and strength to stand on the word of God against all odds. So he says, be strong and courageous. And I think part of the challenge in the church might be that we really don't understand the nature of the word of God. We sometimes reduce this word of God to any other book or to a book that is slightly better than other books. To some, it's just a book of wisdom. Even to some of us as Christians, we don't fully appreciate the nature of the word of God. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews helps us understand that in Hebrews the fourth chapter and the twelfth verse. And this is the amplified version. He says, for the word of God, just that first sentence, for the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing, and effective. How many know that's not Shakespeare? And it's not the writings of some wise sage. Those might in stimulate intellectually. Those might bring some wise sayings that help us with some wisdom. But there is no other book that contains words that are alive. There's no other book that contains words that are active. And there is no other book in this world that contains words that are full of power. These are no ordinary words. When the Spirit of God breathes upon them, they are active, they are alive, they are throbbing, they are dynamic, they have a mind, they have a purpose. They are going to do something because they are not mere words. 
once the Spirit of God comes upon them. It says the Word of God is alive and active and full of power. It's operative, it's energizing, and it's effective. How many know all those words just tell you that this Word does something? Can someone say amen? amen. And if we don't follow God's instructions to Joshua, we create or we become this phenomenon that is really some sort of aberration, the malnourished Christian. When we watch the television and we see pictures of malnourished people, often children, in certain parts of the world. We see their skeletal frame. Their, their, we see the lack of flesh. We see the bones. We see how gaunt their faces are. We see their eyes bulging. We see their bellies distended. Our hearts go out to them because we don't we feel that no human being should find themselves in this state. And whenever there's a call to support the mission agencies that are doing an amazing work in certain parts of the world, getting food to them, we're quick to do so because our hearts are touched by this picture of the plight of these people who are God's creation. It's interesting that a similar scenario plays itself out spiritually. But because we can't see so clearly spiritually, we get on with life. The reason that those people who are God's creation are in that state is simply because they can't find food. They are not fed. They don't look like you because you eat three square meals, and some eat four, five, six square meals. But can you imagine that we are body, soul, and spirit. Our bodies are actually the lowest form of our state. We are firstly a spirit. That is the highest form of who we are. That is really who we are, a spirit. The spirit has a soul. The soul came into being when God put his spirit into man. The result of the spirit entering the body, the suit, was that a soul, a consciousness was created. So we are body, soul, and spirit. And every part of us eats food. We feed our physical beings, our flesh, our suits, that body that you see. We feed it with natural food. We feed our souls, our intellect, our emotions, with soulish food. The books we read, the things we watch, the things we listen to. Our spirit man eats as well. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew, the fourth chapter and the fourth verse. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does that mean? 
if, if man is eating bread alone, then man is not feeding himself in his, in his totality. So what does our spirit man eat? Our spirit man eats the word of God. So you can imagine if you could see spiritually, you will see so many malnourished Christians. They look rosy and they look well-fed naturally because they are feeding with, met, in, with, with meticulous detail and diligence their physical man. And maybe they are feeding their souls. They read, they study, they have so many degrees after their names. But their spirit man is gaunt, is faint, is weak. The bones are protruding, is on the verge of death because it's not being fed by the word of God. And is it any wonder that the spirit man can't fight? Because the spirit man is weakened because it's not being fed by the word of God. What does the word of God do for us? Number one, it reveals God to us. It's the way we know God. Now, of course, know is progressive. We progressively and intimately get acquainted with his person. But we do it primarily by his word. It's a simple thing. If I wanted you to know me, one of the easiest ways is for me to tell you about myself. Is that not the case? So if I, if I know that I want a deep relationship with you, the easiest way is for me to tell you about myself. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what, what causes me to get angry. This is what excites me. This is what you can do that is going to touch my heart. And then not only do I tell you about myself, I now give you examples of people who did the right thing and how I responded and people who did the wrong thing and how I responded. I put it all in a book and I give you the book. And say, all you have to do to get to know me is read this book. And you know what grace is? God didn't just do that. He went one step further and this is grace. He decided that there will be parts of this book possibly that you might find difficult to understand. I think I better just live with you so that whenever you have any difficulty in understanding the book, I am already in you and you can ask me because I'm the author of the book. That's part of what the Holy Spirit does. And so no Christian has a right to say God is distant, God is abstract. I am not progressively becoming into, in, in, and progressively and intimately becoming acquainted with this person. He gave us a book. And if we don't know him, then we can't worship him. Because as we, as we know from the, the, woman, the Samaritan woman's encounter with God, we worship the one we know. And so if we don't know him, we can't worship him. Our worship remains a religious experience because to worship God in a way that he wants, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And it is the truth of him that is revealed by his word. So we get to know him by his word. So anybody who's serious about their Christian faith, 
has to be serious about the word of God. Number two, the word of God helps us to shape our world. It helps us, to be blunt, to change things that don't line up with his word to line up with his word. And God is the perfect example. At the beginning of creation, he wants to perform a work on earth, but the earth does not look like what he wants it to look like. The Bible tells us darkness covers the face of the deep. It's formless. It's void. It's chaotic. So what does God do? Does he roll up his sleeves first and get, go into action? Absolutely not. The first thing he does to rearrange his world or the world is that he speaks his word. Let there be light. The Bible says there was light. The spoken word of, word of God is powerful. It's energizing. It's effective. It has the mind of God in it. It goes to achieve the purpose of God. The Bible says he watches over his word to bring it to completion. It is important to him that his word is brought to completion. So he speaks the word and it starts to reorganize and change his environment. Can I say to you that if you don't speak the word of God, then you can't change your environment. You speak the word into that situation until it aligns with the word. You constantly declare the word until the circumstances align with the word. With the word. If you're sick, you declare the word of healing until your body aligns with the word of God. If you're afraid, you declare the word of God. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear until your mind aligns with the word of God. If you're suffering mind attacks, then you declare the word of God. You have a sound mind. That's what he says. Until your mind aligns with the word of God. You declare the word of God. You declare the word of God over your children. Your husband, you declare the word of God over your wife. You speak the word of God until it shapes your world. Number three. The word of God is our main weapon to rebuke the enemy. When the tempter comes against Jesus, in the classic example of spiritual warfare, Jesus' responses are simple and instructive. If you are the son of God, he says in Matthew the fourth chapter from verse 3, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. What was Jesus' response? He didn't sing a song. He definitely did not speak into tongues, speak in tongues, Pentecostals. Because speaking in tongues is not addressing the enemy. It is not addressing the enemy. The Bible says when you speak in tongues, you speak mysteries unto God. How can Satan understand the mysteries? So when you speak in tongues, you are speaking to God. Yes, you might need to speak to God. God, give me strength. God, help me overcome. God, help me stand strong. You might need to pray into the future, but when it comes to face-to-face -to -face combat with the enemy, there is only one weapon that you have. The Bible calls it the sword of the Spirit. And just in case we are confused, the Bible goes on to say, which is the Word of God? 
And so what does Jesus say? He turns around and he declares to him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Of course, Satan doesn't give in easily. He ups the temple. The devil takes him up into a holy city, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, and then quotes scripture at him. I mean, you can imagine if this was a, a, a modern-day Pentecostal Christian. Now It's finished. I don't even know the scripture. The, Satan knows the scripture and is quoting it to me. And so, of course, Satan quotes the scripture. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He might as well have said, for the Bible says, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. But then he was quoting it out of context. He was quoting it to tempt Jesus to display power in a way that was carnal. And Jesus knew, no, no, that's out of context. May you know what is in context and out of context. That, that's why people are deceived. That's why people are deceived. That's why they say, you know, they went somewhere, they deceived them. How can they deceive you if you have the word of God in you? And what does Jesus respond? Jesus says, it is written again, as if don't you get it daft? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. But then Satan sometimes is daft. Because he doesn't give in. He says, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. He upped the temple some more and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. You know, that's like Jesus saying, ah, don't, you, ah, don't you get it? I've told you twice. Must I tell you the third time? Away with you. Get out of here. It's modern day language for that. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And I love the last sentence. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The devil leaves you when you know the word of God. Who wants to take a bashing? Even the devil does not want to take a bashing. Every time you thrust, you, every time you speak the word of God in warfare, it's like, it's like thrusting or stabbing him with a sword. That's why it's called the sword of the spirit. Who wants to be stabbed continuously when there are many who don't even know where the sword is? So he leaves those who know how to use their swords and finds those who, doesn't, who, who don't know how to use their swords. I am telling you, if you cannot say it is written, one day you will say, I am finished. It's a choice. One day. Because he will always be attracted to the Christians who say they are born again, but who cannot say it is written. Because that's an easy battle. Number four, it helps overcome sin. How do I fight sin? By having myself full of the word of God. It's a defense against a sinful life. It isn't possible to have the word of God and the spirit of God and to live in habitual sin. It is not possible. If you find someone who lives in habitual sin, then they don't have the word of God and they definitely are not submitted to the spirit of God. 
The psalmist puts it like this in Psalms 119 verse 11. He says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. What is on your heart? He says, on my heart, your word, I have hidden it in my heart that I might not sin against you. He says in 111, 101, Psalms 119 verse 101, the Passion Translation, he says, I refuse to bend my morals when temptation was before me so that I could become obedient to your word. What made me stand against that temptation, refusing to bend to that temptation, was the, my desire to be obedient to your word. If you want to overcome sin, fill yourself with the word of God. And to be specific, in the area you're struggling with, become a specialist in the word of God in that area. Because if the word is active, it's alive, it's energizing, it's operative, it's effective, then fill yourself in that area with the word of God. And the word of God will stand as a bastion in your life against sin. Can someone say amen? amen? Number five, the word of God helps us make the right decisions. Life is simply about the decisions we make. We are the sum total of all the decisions we have made. We are constantly going to be faced with choices. We will always be at one crossroad or another. Do I go left or do I go right? Do I take this decision? Do I act in this manner? Do I say what, what is on my mind? Do I even allow it to come into my mind? The psalmist says in Psalms 119, verse 105, the Passion Translation. I love this, the Passion Translation of this. He says... Truth's shining light guides me in my choices and decisions. And what's the book of truth? It's the Bible. It says, truth's shining light guides me in my choices and decisions. The revelation of your word makes my pathway clear. The revelation of your word. It makes my pathway clear. Amen? Number six, it reveals the truth thoughts and secret motives of our hearts, you know, I, 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 I've pastored for a while, and I, I, I find the parts of pastoring that I find interesting. Sometimes people come to you, and they say they're coming for advice. They've already made up their minds. What they're looking for is for you to put an official seal on what they've decided. They didn't come for advice. The true motives of their hearts, they've, they've even deluded themselves so that even they themselves are deceived by themselves. It's a fascinating thing to watch. And if you don't do what they want, bless their wrong choice. There are many people to find. So sometimes we laugh about it in church. They come to me, then I'm not agree agreeable. They go to Doc, he's not agreeable. Next thing I see them whispering to Bajo, he too is not agreeable. They, I mean, there are 21 pastors. They calculate that by the time I reach number 21, somebody must agree to this thing. 
the, the, their heart, the true motive. They've deceived themselves as well. That's how somebody says, I've forgiven her. No, you haven't. Your actions tell us you haven't. So what does the word of God do? Hebrews 4 verse 12, the Amplified Classic. It says, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal, the spirit. And this is the challenge. The way we were designed to function, the spirit takes the lead. And the spirit receives its nourishment, its instructions from the spirit of God. And as long as that is happening, a person is walking in the right way. But then what the enemy wants is for the soul to lead. So that we take soulish decisions, not spiritual decisions. So that we lead by our intellect. Or we lead by our emotions. So if I have a wounded emotion, or my emotions are wounded, then that is how I lead. I speak out of my wounded emotions. I react out of my wounded emotions. And as long as I do that, then the decisions cannot be spiritual. They can't be godly because I'm, I'm reacting from my, my soul, my emotions. But when you have the word of God in you, when you want to react, the Bible says the word of God goes to that place where the soul and the spirit are joined and separates them, severs the tie between them, that this soul can control the spirit. So I am wounded in my soul, but because of the word of God and the spirit of God, I can forgive you even though you hurt me. My soul doesn't control me. My eyes don't see and want it and, and drive me into making choices that are wrong. Because my soul is not in control. It says, and of the joints and marrow, of the deepest parts of our nature, the parts that sometimes we don't even want to be in touch with, the compartments that we have closed, it says the Word of God has a way of exposing, sifting, analyzing, and judging the very thoughts and purposes of, our, of the heart. The Word of God has a way of doing that. It just, has anybody here ever been at a place where they want to do something, but the Word of God just convicts you? Anybody have experienced that? And you know that, I, I really want to do this thing. But the word of God convicts you because the word is there. There's a reservoir of the word in you that can come at the right time and bring conviction. The Bible says it's, it exposes, it, it sifts, it analyzes, and then it judges the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. Amen? Number seven, it gives you wisdom. No Christian should be foolish. It is not 
a tag a Christian should bear. Foolishness. Because even if I don't have the knowledge, the Word of God gives me wisdom to make right choices. And I'm sure you know that there are many knowledgeable people who are very foolish. I can show you a lot of people who have all kinds of fancy letters after their names but are so foolish. And the start of their foolishness is that they say there is no God. So the Bible says that's a, that's a foolish man who says there's no God. Very foolish man. So loads of letters, all kinds of qualifications. Intellectually brilliant. Giants in the soulish realm. But non-existent in the spiritual realm. Fools. Just by reading, studying, and meditating on the Word of God, you can get the wisdom of a sage. People want to listen to you. Isn't that what happened to Jesus? And he was the Word. When he got up as a young man in the temple, the people were amazed, all the scholars. Where did he get? Where did he, how can he speak with such authority? Because he is the Word. When he preached and he spoke, people were mesmerized. The wisdom with which he answered and dealt with complex situations. Which is the greatest commandment, he was asked, a trick question. Any way he answered it was going to be wrong. Until he said, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your might, all your mind, with everything that you have. That took care of half of the 635 odd commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. That took care of the other half. And he said, the two are joined. You can't do one without the other. What was he saying? In those two things, I've told you, follow all of them. That wisdom could have only come from the word himself. Amen? See the way the psalmist puts it. I have, Psalms 119 verse 99. I have better understanding and deeper insight than all my teachers because your testimonies are my meditation. Amen? Just because your testimonies are my meditation. The people who taught me suddenly are coming to me to ask me to teach them. Because your testimonies are my, because your word is my meditation. Look at verse 100 of that same psalm. I understand more than the aged because I keep your precepts, hearing, receiving, loving, and obeying them. Suddenly, I'm a young man, but suddenly I have wisdom that those much older than me are amazed at the wisdom. And why? Because I love your word. I keep it. I obey it. I study it. I meditate on your word. Amen? That's the only reason. And so at church, I wanted to encourage you. You know, get into the word of God. It's the way to prosperity. It's the way to true and lasting success. The word of God. A day without the word is a day that you have not fed your spirit. Learn to meditate on the word. Sit down, mull over it. Ask the Holy Spirit to expand it. Write it down over and over again. Those were simple things that they taught us while we were at school to help us remember things. Just the fact that you wrote it down, your, 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 it concentrates your whole mind your, your, on it. You know, mull it over, speak it out. Change your word, your world with the word. Be careful the words you speak. Don't speak words that are negative. Don't, and I'm not just saying say positive things. I'm, 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 I'm on top. What is that you're on top? What does that mean I'm on top? 
Who's, who's going to listen to I'm on top? The, the, in the pits of hell, they don't care about I'm on top. But I am the head and not the tail. They understand that. God's, God's plans towards me declare what his plans are. And you know what the enemy makes, make, what the enemy has done? He's used intellect to make us feel foolish when we, when, we, when we confess the word. You know, a lot of Christians feel foolish. That does this thing really work? Does it work? It's not your word. It's powerful. It's energizing. It's effective. It has the mind of God in it. It goes to achieve God's purposes. The foolish things will always confound the wisdom of the world. You had the testimony of, the, of that young lady. After three miscarriages, what, what gave her the fourth child? She said, it was the words I declared. She said, she's ended her testimony by saying, the words and the promises of God are true. Declare them. Without medical intervention, she commanded her cervix that was opening to release children too early to obey God's word and that cervix heard the word of God and held the child for nine months and released the child at the command of God. And by the way, you know, know God for yourself. Know God for yourself. This mamby-pamby Christianity where people are feeding you, you know, like, like your child. I mean, anybody who remains a baby forever, it's a problem. We call doctors. We came to do your dedication. You were a baby. You had that, what's that thing they put in the baby's mouth? Pacifier. Is that what they call it? The dummy. You had the dummy in your mouth. You were one year old. I saw you at five. Dummy in your mouth. At 15, dummy in your mouth. Now you have gray hair. Dummy in your mouth. That's how a lot of, a lot of Christians are. So the God they know is the God of somebody. That, that's why, you know, all these phrases people say, oh, the God of Elijah, the God of Aguiruku, the God of Shalah, the Aga, is good. But let it be my own God too. God does not have grandchildren. He only has children. He doesn't have grandchildren. So thank God for the God of Shalai Ruku, but thank God for the God of Aguiruku too. And I tell my children, and my children know that don't piggyback on me because God doesn't have grandchildren. I can show you the way, but you must have a relationship with him. It must be your own God. So the God of Elijah, my own God too. Amen? So let people, so let people be able to say my own God too. Can someone say amen to that? Amen. amen. Hallelujah. We overcome by the word. Amen? It's the only offensive weapon we have. And if you don't have it, then you must be prepared. If you can't say it is written, one day you will cry out, I am finished. And that isn't your portion. Amen. And it's not your testimony. Amen. So you must be able to say it is written. And it takes time. Study it. Read it. Confess it. You know, walk around and declare it. One day, all your circumstances will line up to the word of God. Just declare it. You know, isn't it interesting how Jewish mothers will, will pray for their children, we're told, will bless their children every day. And every Friday, as part of, part of tradition, the children will come to the father to bless them. 
Just declaring blessings, blessings, blessings. Is it any wonder that one small state that was planted in a barren land is easily one of the most successful countries in the world? I mean, they planted the thing in the barren land. They sell us oranges. Huh, I mean, there's no, there's no water there. No water. They export vegetables. Don't let me end my sermon by talking about some other countries. Let's just move on and just, <laughs> let us just move on. Hallelujah. Were you blessed? Yeah. Give God a clap of for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We thank you and we bless you. I want to read something that I came across. Um, that's one of, one of the things that, that just struck me as I was preparing this message about the word of God. I just love, love this phrase. And then we're done. Thank you, Lord. Psalms 119, verse 89, the Passion Translation. It says, Standing firm in the heavens and fastened to eternity is the word of God. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Standing firm in the heavens, immovable, and fastened to eternity is the word of God. Amen. For yourself, know the word of God. Don't run around looking for people who will be, you know, like their contractors. No, 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 no. God doesn't work like that. For yourself, know the word of God. Amen? Bow our heads. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We glorify your name. We honor you. And today we honor your word. We thank you for sending it to do so many things in our lives. We're grateful that you gave us the author of your word, the, the one who inspired human beings to write your word for us. You put your person of the spirit in our lives. What a privilege and what a grace. Father, we just thank you and we bless you. Lord, we're asking for the grace to renew our commitment to your word. We're asking for the grace to overcome the distractions of the enemy so that we can get deeper into your word, that we may know you, Heavenly Father. Father, we thank you. And if there's anyone who hasn't started a relationship with him, you haven't given your life to him, you can't call him your father, you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, you're in a religion, but not a relationship. And there's a world of difference. Today, you want to receive that gift that he is into your life and start a relationship with him. If you would slip your hands up wherever you are, somebody saying, just pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ. Pray with me. Slip your hands up wherever you are. Anybody saying, pray with me. You're watching online. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to start a relationship with him. If you just follow the instructions on the screen as you give your life to Jesus, Father, we thank you and we bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word, Lord. Our thanksgiving today is for your word, Father. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Amen.